Hey everybody, it's Matt here. And before we get to the episode today, I just want to invite you to slay this giant of sexual sin with us. I want to invite you to consider doing an event with us. We have so many different kinds of events that we could do. There's events for men, there's events for men and women, events for parents, for youth, for young adults. There's Sunday morning preaching. Um, some of the events that we do are for our one-time things and some are weekend-long conferences. And so if this is on your heart and you'd like to address sexuality and porn in your church or in your circle, in your ministry or whatever that might look like, uh, I would invite you to go to restoredministries.ca slash events. You can see what's possible there with some things that we've done in the past. And we're also very flexible with working with different event organizers and, and churches in what it can look like for their particular setting. And so if you have it on your heart to carry the message forward of, of freedom and wholeness and health over sexual brokenness, I would love to chat about what that might look like. Go to restoredministries.ca slash events. And at the bottom of the page, you'll see my email and feel free to email me. We can hop on a Zoom call together and look at what doing an event together might look like for you. Hey, Peer Victory Tribe. We recently interviewed Chandler Rogers from the Relay app. Yeah, you can hear his personal story and the story of why Relay was created on episode 141. Chandler personally overcame a struggle with compulsive pornography use, and then he used his experience to give back to others by creating Relay, a group-based recovery app for people wanting freedom from addictive sexual behavior. He basically built what he wished he had during his healing journey, tools to manage recovery goals, an SOS button to reach out when feeling triggered, and a system for accountability with peers, all in a private, safe space. So you can find out more about the Relay app in the show notes and learn more about it or join a recovery group at www.joinrelay.app. Welcome to the Pure Victory Podcast, full of hot tips to help you win at sex, conquer porn, and find purpose in staying free forever. Here are your hosts, Matt Klein and Brad Hafner. Hey, welcome back to Pure Victory Podcast. Matt and Braden here. We got Team Zick here today from Moral Revolution. We got Cole and Caitlin and just super excited to have them. And we were just looking at at uh, some listeners, lots of listeners growing in Ecuador we saw. Yeah, we wanted to give a shout out to you guys in, in Ecuador. Like, I don't know what's going on there, but bless you. <laughs> yeah, we're happy to see it. So... Um, Cole and Caitlin, we want to get right to you. We're just pumped to to have you guys on. We love Moral Revolution. I've been following you for nine years. Cole, I know we chatted a few years ago, and so yeah. just excited to have you guys on and share your story. Yeah, we're we're thrilled to be here. We love uh, podcasting. We love working with like minded people. There's very few of us that are willing to do this, you know. <laughs> so those those of us that are must stick together like Gideon's three hundred. That's right. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> uh, well, and we're so excited to have you guys on because you you share out your story, you share out your life, you have passion in this area, you want to see people be free and have victory and have the health in this area. So we're super pumped to have you on. And uh, we wanted to kind of start off setting the table for our conversation with you, talking about sex and marriage and why sex is for marriage and what that means. So maybe let's just start there because uh, I think that a lot of people maybe don't understand the link. So what is the link between sex and marriage? Well, should we start in the Bible? That's a great place to start. <laughs> She's holy and biblical. That's the best. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, so I'm reading from first Corinthians seven, but it's the message paraphrase. So some people might think that's elementary, but I think it's relevant <laughs> language. Um, and so it's actually a question where Paul's answering and said, now getting down to the questions you asked in your letter to me first, is it a good thing to have sexual relations? 
like this is we do q a's whenever we travel and i always joke i'm like this was the original q a right here yeah uh, certainly he said but only within a certain context it's good for a man to have a wife and for a woman to have a husband sexual drives are strong but marriage is strong enough to contain them and provide for a balanced and fulfilling sexual life in a world of sexual disorder. I just think the way that that is paraphrased is so beautiful. Like, yes, sex drives are strong. Um, I think a lot of times in the church, sex drives have been vilified. Like, oh my gosh, like I need my sex drive to go away. It's like, no, it's a good God thing. I had someone pray that for me once I rebuked him on the spot. Yes. I love it. It's like, like no. No, I, I need thing. this. Yes, it's a good thing. Um, you know, we, I think we're all probably familiar with the verse in Song of Songs. It's like the most quoted verse from Song of Songs of like, don't awaken love before it so mm -hmm. desires. So it's like, yeah, if your sex drive was awakened earlier, then you're ready to get married. Then instead of demonizing it, you bless it, but ask it to go back to sleep until the appropriate time. Um, but so after it says that, where it's like, yes, sex drives are strong, but marriage is strong enough to contain them and provide for a balanced and fulfilling sexual life in a world of sexual disorder. Then he says the marriage bed must be a place of mutuality. The husband seeking to satisfy his wife and the wife seeking to satisfy her husband. Marriage is not a place to quote unquote, stand up for your rights. Marriage is a decision to serve the other, whether in bed or out. So I just love that. I feel like it's the perfect answer of just saying marriage is strong enough to not just contain your sex drive, but provide for a really fulfilling sexual life, even in the midst of this crazy disorderly hypersexualized culture that we're being surrounded by and bombarded by on a daily basis. And then inside of the marriage bed that we're both supposed to be seeking to satisfy. It's not just the wife. It's not just the husband and that it's not a place to stand up for your rights, but a place to serve each other. And so I just think it's beautiful reminders for marriage. Well, you know, and science is finally catching up with theology. You know, when you realize, I think the answer, the big answer to this question, even this is easy for the four of us to fully believe, right? Because we believe the Bible to yeah. be inspired by God. Yeah. Um, I think when you step back, there's other angles that you can look at this from. Um, first of all, for Christians, I, I'm finding in today's culture, not every Christian is actually believing the, the Bible to be the inspired word of God. They think that there's lots of room for change now and, and, you know, questioning the canon and, you know, X, Y, Z, you guys know this. I'm sure you've had many conversations like this too. From the biblical standpoint, the basis of understanding though, that God did create humanity and he created us with an intentional purpose. That's important to understand because then now there's a number of questions that, that that changes the way we ask questions. If I believe God designed us and that he made us on purpose the way he designed us, then I'm going to start asking questions about sex that are a little bit different. Okay, Lord, if you made us, why is sex for humans different than mating for any other species? Yeah. Okay, for instance, let's just use one thing, a female orgasm. No other species does the female have an orgasm. That's that we should figure out the why behind that. If we're going to understand God's design for sex, right? Like, and, yeah. and then when you look at a male orgasm, a man has to have an orgasm to procreate. Mm -hmm. Now, not that he procreates every time, but it's required for procreation. Yeah. Whereas a woman doesn't have to have an orgasm for procreation. Well, oftentimes they're procreating without an orgasm that leads you to realize a female orgasm is really about one thing. And that's that woman enjoying this sexual experience with her husband. Mm -hmm. 
that is a big thing to understand. God intentionally wove in to our as humans, our sexual experience is meant to be enjoyed, meant to be yeah. something that we want to come back to, something that we want to have, that we want to pursue. And so to what Caitlin's saying, that means we have to stop the demonizing of, oh, the sex drive is wrong. This is just unadulterated lust. Now, that, those might be true. It might be lust that's driving us. But the reality of it is it's a, it's designed by God. Well, then you come in and you go, Okay, well then, why did he say just for marriage? Well, because he gave us an instruction for marriage. It doesn't give us to any other. Doesn't give us for any other relationship in in our life. He tells me that I'm to leave my father and mother, and that I am to cleave to my wife. Meaning, I'm supposed to illogically leave the family I was raised with to start the uncertainty of the family in front of me. What area of your life, even if you're somebody who likes change? What area are you so excited to leave comfort for the unknown? Yeah. I mean, no area are we as excited as we are when it comes to falling in love with somebody. Well, that's because this instruction is you're supposed to leave your father and mother. And the one that you choose is the one that I want you to be with forever. And so I've worked the biology into your body to do it. We now know from science that when we're experiencing sex and lovemaking, we have a number of, of what's called neurotransmitters that are released. These are part things in our brain that release a chemical response to activities and things that take place. And for us, specifically in sex or intimacy, dopamine, serotonin, vasopressin, oxytocin. I'm going to go over them quick. People can look them up. Uh, I'm sure you have intelligent podcast listeners. You you can kind of look into what all of these things do. But the short of it is that these things cause us to be bonded to each other and then cause us to want to repeat connection with that person. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. what helps us fulfill the instruction of leave your father and mother, cleave to your spouse, go and be with your spouse, fight for that relationship like you've never fought for a relationship Lean into that relationship like you've never leaned into another relationship. Protect that relationship like you've never protected another relationship. I've instructed you to do it, but I've also put the biology in you. Well, let's go out of the Bible now. What I'm sharing with you is is just scientific data. We now know that our emotions and our brains bond to a human through sex. That's why you hear things like, you'll never forget your first. Right. Mm. Right. You think about somebody that is sexually active in high school and then they break up. I mean, you, you, I don't know if you had a high school relationship, but it feels like death would be better, a better (laughs) outcome than having to deal with breaking up with this person. Yeah. Right. Like it feels like you lost a part of yourself, Mm but it's because our subconscious didn't know, Oh, you're only 16. You don't really know what you're doing right now. We're not going to let sex have the power that it's, that, that it biologically carries it doesn't create a, there's no junior sex experience for the subconscious. And so the brain, the emotion deeply bonded to this person as if marriage had happened. Yeah. yeah. And so now we're, we, you rip it apart. The average man in America, I know you guys have people from all over the country, but the average male in America has six sexual partners before marriage. The average woman, four and a half sexual partners before marriage. You know, that's a really big thing because what we think we're doing is we think we're practicing for marriage. We think we're practicing relationship, but what we're actually scientifically or biologically doing, we're practicing divorce Mm -hmm. because we're bonding to somebody and then we're having to convince our emotions not to hurt when we break the bond. Mm -hmm. 
And then we go to bond to partner number two, and then we have to convince our emotions to break the bond. Well, by partner number three or four, all of a sudden it doesn't hurt as much to break the bond anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Because we would we'd have to literally be mental. We'd have to walk around with a mental illness if it hurt the same way every time. But we have to figure out a way to cope with breaking up yeah. because we be, we've become so sexually active seeking so many partners. Yeah. And so we think it's a sign of maturity or emotional toughness to get to a point where, oh, it no longer hurts to have a new partner. Really what it is a sign of is we've numbed our emotion and we've muted our biological connection to that person so that we didn't have to walk around emotionally ill or mentally ill, feeling like we're a basket case and we're going to fall apart because I just lost a part of myself for the fourth time. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. And so you, you, whether you're into the word of God, it, it, maybe you're listening, you're not a Christian, you know, and you, if you've had multiple partners, you know that what I'm saying is true because you, you've sensed it in your own heart, your own emotion, your own mind. We were not meant to have multiple partners that we detach from and go on to the next the next partner. We're not created like animals where it's simply for the sake of procreation. Uh, it's for a, it's, there's a number of different reasons that God gave it to us. And I would say the primary one is so that we would bond to each other so that this would represent his love for us. Yeah, yeah. And I would, could go on in that too, but I've already went too long on the answer to this question. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's true. It's true though. Sexual relationships were never meant to end. That's why it hurts so much. And it's, I love what you're saying. And I also love the comparison that you're saying with animals because the first time I ever heard about the significance of a hymen was in the book, Moral Revolution. I was teaching on that one time and, and the guy kind of running the webinar for us as I was teaching about the significance of covenant and the hymen and the veil tearing and, and all of that, he was researching on the back end, do other animals have hymens, but humans are the only ones that have a hymen. And the hymen is so significant in a woman where a man enters in and there's bloodshed and it forms a covenant, but no other animal has it. Yep. And so when that relationship is formed, it's not supposed to end. Correct. But what happens I think in our culture is, is we end up chasing that orgasm, right? And everything yeah. is about the pleasure and it's not about the love, not about the covenant or the commitment. It's all about the pleasure. Can you guys speak to, to the damage of that, that mindset, whether married or not? This is probably one of my bigger, like one of the passions I'm in the moment of these last, I don't know, few months really the reality of it is I think non-Christians, singles, marrieds, a lot of people I know, it has become about the dopamine chase. Yeah. We don't know that that's what we're chasing, but that, so dopamine and serotonin in particular, those two are the happy chemicals. Those are the chemicals that are released when you experience something that you really, really like. When you eat ice cream, when you post something on social media and you get a lot of likes, when you accomplish a marathon, and so what's going on is we're our, our subconscious is constantly chasing a good feeling and left unrestrained. It's all our brain would do is chase good feelings. And so when you talk about an orgasm in particular, there is no greater feeling that you can get in as short of amount of time with as high of a dopamine spike as an orgasm. And so what our subconscious does is it, our subconscious is really good at figuring things out that we can't figure out consciously. Our subconscious realizes, oh, wow, a dopamine release really addresses my rejection feelings when I feel rejected by yeah. somebody. This dopamine release is a really good answer to loneliness. It's a really good answer to exhaustion. When I'm really tired, 
dopamine, but I can't fall asleep because my mind's running. Dopamine will put me to sleep. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. our subconscious realizes these things. And then the subconscious does a whole bunch of work behind the scenes and says, well, what gets us there the quickest with the least amount of effort? Right. Pornography will get me there really quick without any effort. And so even in marriages, I find a lot of times in Christian marriages, the narrative becomes, hey, woman, you have to do it for your husband. And really it's your job to satisfy him because he takes care of you. Right. He takes the trash out when it's snowing. You have sex with him when he comes back in. It's a great back and forth. Right. Like a big trade off. And if he really wants it, he's going to do the dishes that night, too. And, you know, like this transactional sexual experience, because the, the husband wants the orgasm and the woman wants the safety or the security. Again, these are pretty intense stereotypes. I'm not saying everybody's in that boat, but you do, we, we do just doing what we do. We hear that a lot. And the danger is that what we've done is we have absolutely shrunk the power of sex. When sex is only about the orgasm, we've stripped it of the vision that God has for it. Mm. Right. Because God's vision is that I would have an intimate connection with Caitlin and she would have an intimate connection with me that would cause us to be ride or die that we, it would be, we'd be willing to be us two up against the entire world. And a big part of that is the biological connection that comes through lovemaking. So the moment I've said, this is about an orgasm, I'm adding performance to my marriage. Mm -hmm. I'm saying, Hey, you have to live up to whatever I've seen or whatever I've experienced. The moment I'm making it about an orgasm, I'm saying, hey, I don't want to connect with you. Let's just, I need to be satisfied. You're here for me. It's a very selfish way to look at a sexual experience. You know, and so now we're adding really unhealthy layers. And because our brains are so focused on learning new behaviors, we are now actually taking lovemaking and we're shrinking it into the world's version of sex. Now, it may not look exactly like what we see out there, But what we're actually practicing is just a self-satisfying pursuit of instant gratification so I can figure out how to cope with my internal struggles. Mm -hmm. And now my spouse ultimately becomes my means to an end, not my life partner, not my till death do us part, Mm -hmm. not my soulmate, not my you're all I want, not my leave my father and mother, cleave to my wife and become one and what God brings together, let no one separate. I've now, and I'm going to make a big statement here. A lot of marriages, their spouse is no, is the same thing to them as porn is to them. Right. It's their ability to have a dopamine release that causes them to feel less stressed, less rejected, less alone, less exhausted, whatever it is for that moment. And so this is something I think we need to really identify and sorry to belabor the question, but I want to give one more layer to this. So psychologists have uncovered something called supernormal stimuli. Mm-hmm. Because have you heard this term before? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know if you're, a, you know, if your listeners do, I'll give a little bit of a, or just a quick brief description because pornography in particular is a supernormal stimuli like the world has never seen before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a supernormal stimuli is something that so powerfully satisfies the need that, that a species has emotionally or intellectually that it actually would cause it would trump instinctive behaviors like it'll overwhelm instinct you know so an instinct would be like a bird has the instinctive desire to sit on its eggs until the eggs are hatched so that they can guarantee the survival of their species Uh, humans don't have a lot of instinctive behaviors we have primarily learned behaviors that our subconscious turns into second nature 
and, and the second nature would be the closest thing to a learned behavior, an instinctive behavior for, for humans. But we've discovered that we have a lot of supernormal stimuli in our culture that if, that if it overcomes instinct, it's definitely overcoming a learned second nature behavior, right? And so when you look at, okay, the let's go orgasm for a second. The way to get an orgasm is to be deeply connected and intimate with my spouse and to make love with her as we've connected emotionally as well. That's a really beautiful thing. But now the supernormal stimuli of pornography comes and I don't have to have connection with her. I don't have to listen to her. I don't have to sit down on the couch and hear what she has to say. Mm -hmm. I can have the same orgasm without any human connection. That supernormal stimuli comes in and says, wait a sec, if I'm only chasing the dopamine fix, I'm going to get there as quick as possible. And hearing your thoughts and emotions are not the quickest way possible. So I'm now, now I'm no longer interested in your heart. I just need your vagina. And if you're not willing to give it to me, I'll go to pornography. And so we, and, and even in the church, it's like, well, keep your man off porn, have sex with him, ladies. Keep your man not looking around. Make sure he's looking at you. Have sex with him. I'm like, oh my goodness, how did this language get into the church? This is not God's vision for sex. God's vision for sex is so much bigger, so much more powerful. It has supernormal stimuli nowhere involved. It's all about, I... It's not an inconvenience for me to listen to her heart. It's my honor to listen to her heart. And then I get to have a lovemaking experience with her that doesn't even come close to look like an orgasm chasing moment. Mm -hmm. What we experience is nothing like chasing an orgasm because our hearts and our spirits are so connected by the time we've gotten into that sexual moment. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's powerful. Thanks for sharing that because... Uh, I think we all battle a script that has been running in the background of our lives based on what culture has taught us, what we've seen, you know, this really self-focused, self-serving mentality when it comes to sex. And we bring that into our marriage and it's just really destructive because yeah, we view the other, um, it's like a transactional thing, you know, like, uh, like you said, and it, it just, uh, eliminates and erodes connection and intimacy. And I think we miss that so deeply in our, in this understanding of sex that, God designed sex for a connection, a beautiful connection between husband and wife. And that grows over time as you are loving and you become other focused more and more together. And, and so this script is often running in our, we don't know it's there. We don't know it's there, right? Yeah. Because maybe we, we were grew up as teenagers. Um, I mean, you know, talking to Matt and I, I mean, we've had conversations about this as teenage boys, right? Like you get introduced to say masturbation or something like that. Sex becomes, like you said, an orgasm kind of focused thing. Um, and you're really focused on self and, and getting that need met or what you think is a need and you bring that into marriage and you don't realize that this understanding is informing the way that you engage with your spouse. I think it's important for people to understand your subconscious is lazy and it will always, it will always ignore process for passion. Every single time, if you let it, if we allow our subconscious to go unchecked, it will always pursue the most convenient route to what it wants to accomplish every time. This is where mental self-discipline comes in and is so important because we, we cannot allow our subconscious the, to run our decisions yeah. mm-hmm. because if, if our subconscious was built accidentally, then it's going to lead us down a path of destruction. And it's, I'll tell you this right now, because we've had shallow sex our early years in marriage. It was transactional. 
it was nothing like the sex we have now. So even if you're chasing good sex, connection is the way to the best sex of your life. Yeah. Intimacy yeah. is the path to the best sex of your life. Deep heart connection is the way to the best mm -hmm. orgasms you have ever had because nothing in the first half of our marriage, even I mean, it pales in comparison mm -hmm. to what we're experiencing the second, you know, this part of our marriage because we've prioritized connection over the orgasm chase so sorry brad and i just no that's like, that's great one more time, I promise i'll move on now. yeah <laughs> no that's great uh, i want i actually wanted to lead in and bring up um a few things that i've had what i would call pushback on and i mean my wife and i we've run pre-marriage classes for for years and we've been noticing a trend uh, occurring more and more in that demographic of people um, I want to talk about a few areas. One, of course, is masturbation. Um, the sense, well, if we do it as a married couple or if I'm doing it, you know, within the context of marriage, then somehow that's going to be okay. Um, or if I'm thinking about my spouse when I'm doing it. Right. And I wanted to talk about that with you. But another aspect too that we're seeing more and more is people that are, are shacking up. They're living together before they get married. And they're like, well, I'm committed to them. I don't understand. Like you're saying that sex and marriage, there's a link. That's important. We're living together. We're committed to each other. And we're planning on getting married. What's wrong with us having sex in that context? Um, and I don't like using the language wrong, whatever else, but you know, they just, there's no understanding of the harm, right? So I wanted to, yeah. to, to you guys to unpack some of those things. I know that's a lot, <laughs> but maybe share some thoughts on that. So in masturbation, well, you guys referenced, we do have a podcast called Men in Masturbation on Moral Revolution with three guys with three different stories. One who's never seen porn or masturbated, one who was addicted to masturbation without porn, and one who was addicted to masturbation with porn. So if you want to hear more of a men's perspective, go to that whole thing, or I'm sure the rest of your guys' podcast. Um, but something that I'd like to speak to, because I know it's probably a little bit more rare too for women to talk about this, but I've been talking to a lot of women recently around this idea of masturbation. And this is in the faith-based world of just thinking in my singleness, there's nothing wrong with it. Why wouldn't I do this while I wait? Um, and so I like to pose the question of, instead of calling it masturbation, let's break that down. Like, what does that mean? What does masturbation mean? What if we viewed it as sex with self? So do we want to make a habit of having sex with ourselves and then again, chasing orgasm to where we are the person who knows best how to get to what we want? Um, and so it's creating this habit where, and now I've spoken with women even who are in then relationship and they're like, oh, I just know how to do it better. Like, I don't want him to do it. I don't want somebody else to do it because I know how to do it. And I'm like, that's not, it was never meant. Teach him, take time, discover, learn how, learn, like show each other what you like. Yeah, it was never meant to be a It's really fun thing. to do that. Let me just tell you. <laughs> oh, it's great fun. It was meant, it was <laughs> great meant fun. <laughs> to draw us together. And I think that's, I mean, that's just the brokenness of culture. It's all about self and orgasm and chasing what you want. And so being able to say, okay, it's not just like, oh, it's okay to masturbate, especially I think people write it off like, oh, I'm not even using porn. It's just me doing that. But I'm like, no, it's you learning. Sex is a learned behavior, like Cole mentioned. And so understanding that it's a learned behavior, your body is learning it from the most, the first and the most frequent experiences and exposures in your life. Yep. And so if you're learning it from, I mean, some of us as young kids had experiences that we can't take back that happened, but it's like, you can stop now and then rewrite 
what the waiting process looks like, rewrite what sex looks like, rewrite what chasing an orgasm looks like, that you would be able to erase that context and be able to say, no, I want this. I want to feel the pain. I think in marriage is the excuse. A lot of times it's like, well, what about when we're apart? Da, da, da. But I'm like, or you're fighting. If you have a habit of masturbating and having sex with yourself, you will not be drawn to him. Like there's so many times where we'd been apart on a trip or maybe we'd had some disagreements. I'm like the makeup sex, it's kind of a joke, but I'm like the makeup sex is amazing. It really is because it's your passion that draws you together to fight for connection fight for intimacy, fight for each other rather than go your separate ways and basically continue to have sex with yourself. Yeah, I mean, it's probably one of my favorites when we're apart and then we get back together and we just like are ripping clothes off. That if we were self-satisfying, the, yeah. the drive and the desire wouldn't be there. Yeah. And if I understand that the, the really the power of an orgasm is emotional and spiritual connection, uh, I'm never going to do with my hand what God intended for her to do. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um, you know, so now I would say that, you know, what we do together, you know, as far as like a husband and a wife touching each other and masturbating with each other, yeah, yeah. I, that's great. Right. Like you now yeah. are talking to a husband and a wife that you're, you're still the spouse that's providing the opportunity for connection and, and for that feeling. And so, yeah, so co- cohabitating, here's the, 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 and I'll try to make this as simple as I can. The safest relationships in your life are the ones where you know where you stand with them without question. Right. Like, like when you know where you are staying with somebody, they love you for your, the good, the bad, and the ugly of who you are. Hopefully everybody that's listening has at least one person in their life that they know that's the case for. Yeah. That person is so safe. I can share with them anything. The problem with cohabitating is you're living as if you're married without the promise or the guarantee of covenant. Yeah. And what I have found most people that I know that are cohabitating, not willing to marry, it's because in their minds, they want to make sure to leave a way out. They want to make sure that if this doesn't work out, I can get out of it guilt-free because I wasn't married. So now I can back out and I can say I wasn't divorced. Yeah. Um, you know, I have a somebody that I'm, I'm close with that's never married, almost 40, lived with a number of women. The woman he's living with now, they're, he's like, we don't ever have sex. Will you help me fix this? Um, and, you know, he knows what I do. We've been good friends for a long time. We disagree on lots of things. Uh, and I said, well, I can't. The problem with your sex life is you're not married. And he goes, oh, no, no, marriage ruins sex. I go, my marriage screams the opposite of that. I go, you think marriage ruins sex because you think sex is a performance. And you think once merit, once the covenant happens, she no longer has to perform to keep you entertained. That's why you think marriage ruins sex. I don't think marriage is a performance. I think marriage is my opportunity to please her in a way that no other human can please her. That changes the entire narrative of sex. And because I'm in covenant with her, when sex wasn't going good, quitting wasn't an option. Yeah. When sex wasn't great, the only solution is figure out how to make this great. When I'm in covenant, there's one choice, and that's move forward and figure out how to find health as I walk and as we move together. Yeah. If I'm not in covenant, I have a multiple choice question with any type of confrontation yeah. I have, yeah. right? Should I stay? If I do stay, I've got sub, I've got C, D, and E, right? And then I've got option, well, I might not stay. And at what point do I get to the point where we're no longer together because she hasn't provided or he hasn't provided what I wanted? And so 
you know, and, and that's a really practical, unbiblical answer, you know, mm-hmm. for, for the people that are in the word of God, he instructs us to be in covenant and not to experience sexual intimacy outside of covenant. Yeah. But there's a much bigger emotionally and relationally healthy answer that where again, where our, the, the relationship science is finally catching up with scripture. Uh, ultimately, the reason that he wants us having sex and marriage and living together is because he wants us in covenant. Why? Because covenant's really safe. Yeah. Covenant protects questions. Covenant protects doubts. Covenant protects mistakes. Covenant protects failures. Covenant protects when I'm not exactly who I should be. Whereas cohabitating exposes when I'm not who I should be. Oh, you never do this. This is why I'm going to leave covenant. Oh man, I failed again, but we're so committed to each other. We're going to work through this Mm -hmm. covenant protects where cohabitating exposes. And if you, if you're cohabitating, you can see it in any area of your life. If you really get down to the heart of your emotions, you don't feel safe, fully safe in that relationship. You can't possibly feel fully safe in the set not that someone's going to hurt you safe but in are they going to leave there's always that underlying question of rejection and 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 even in covenant unfortunately depending on people's paradigm but covenant is meant to answer that question so that the dialogue gets to change yeah so we have we were always immediately jumping past if we're going to work through this the answer is yes we've already decided we're going to work through this we don't have to spend any time on that in this conflict mm-hmm. resolution we get to go right to the source of the problem now mm-hmm. and we get to be way more effective in taking care of it i, I love that it it's a paints a clear picture it's like i mean if you're cohabitating you have this bright shining light exit on a door in your relationship that you can take at any one point if they don't match up the way that you're thinking they need to match up. And it's, it's not fully choosing that person. Like you're holding back. And we always say this like in dealing marriage ministry, any instance of any kind of secret is going to create an erosion of your intimacy. So same thing. If you're not fully choosing that person, you're not fully giving yourself to them. You have an out and you have a mentality and a mindset that is existing within kind of the the contours of your relationship and it's it's just really impacting you in ways you can't foresee or know and and that's really the damage that that occurs so you describe that beautifully well i think when you're talking about the conflict resolution we didn't have the exit over our marriage we didn't have the exit door so i think early young she was 21 i was 22 yeah i'd never seen a naked woman before she's the first and only he said that at our wedding too. It really <laughs> yeah, it felt very awkward. And everybody laughed for like three minutes straight. He could not get everybody. You don't see a woman naked till you're married. Well, tonight is going to be the first time I see a woman naked. <laughs> Cole didn't realize the effect it would have on the crowd. No, I didn't. Awesome. <laughs> it was an arousing effect. <laughs> no, it totally was. Um, so that was Cole's story. He had never been with anybody, seen anything, you know, had been completely pure and saved himself for marriage. Like I'd found porn when I was a kid, but I just had this thing in me that you don't look at this. It, you know, back when I was a kid, it was magazines that wasn't like readily available on the phone, but I found countless magazines. Like I couldn't tell you how many playboys and hustlers and whatever I found. Um, and just always had this sense that oh, this isn't what I do. It's not who I am. And I'd throw it down and I'd run out of the room or I'd run out of the situation that it was in. I remember a time in high school going over to some friend's house, they're watching porn together. And I immediately got in my car and left. I just, you know, I knew the Lord from a really early age. Like I can remember encountering the Holy Spirit at like five or six years old, like distinct moments. And so I always had this, uh, this doesn't fit with what I have in my heart, you know? And so 
Yeah, she's it. I've never even said I love you. I, a girl in high school said I love you. I said thanks. <laughs> and I told her, oh, I don't love you yet. When I do, I'll let you know. And she did not like that. She broke up with me instantly. And I'm glad I saved the word for Caitlin. <laughs> cool. Yep. Uh, my story is very different. I said I love you too. I don't even know how many guys. Um, I was. She only meant it to me though. Of course. Um, I, I wasn't raised in the Christian family, so I didn't have the foundation of knowing who I was. So I think I was completely like a daughter of the culture before I knew I was a daughter of the king. So I was raised by this hypersexualized culture. I sang all the song lyrics of, you know, why do good girls like bad guys who tell mad lies, keep it on the down low, nobody has to know, you know, friends with benefits, no strings attached. Like all of what culture is screaming at us is doing what we said earlier, where it's this paradigm in our subconscious that some of us are so unaware of. So I was completely unaware that there was another way. All I saw was what the movies and media and then, you know, social pressure was telling me. And so it was constant hookup culture, um, starting as young as 12 with my first kiss that escalated to um, being touched and finding myself in these moments where I'm like, oh, I can't say no. I've already said yes. Like I got myself into this situation. So really now, now I know that I was learning sex in this like fight or flight or freeze type of mentality where I didn't actually like it, but I'm supposed to like it. And then it's really cool and popular to have all these guys wanting you. And so I just kept thinking, this is what you do. This is what girls do. This is what guys do. And honestly, my dopamine, you know, I, I never had an orgasm in all of those years. I think it was probably the dopamine and the, the high of the, the being wanted. There yeah. were so many for girls, I think so much of it comes like our worth comes from being wanted from a guy. So it was like I had this long list of hookups and guys that were paging me because it was before cell phones. My pager was blowing up with uh, booty calls and I felt like I was on top of the world, but always actually hated the sexual encounters. Hmm. So then I get saved. You know, well, the first Christian guy I was with still then convinced me that the Bible says you can do everything but sex. So here I am still going to a youth group now, still engaging in oral sex, just knowing he doesn't want to have sexual intercourse with me. He's the best guy I've ever met. Um, and so lots of undoing, lots of unlearning, lots of um, what I didn't know was trauma. So it took years and years for me to realize um, that these these encounters and the way that my body, my mind um, had learned sex it was like i only knew lust so i could not believe love was real once we got married mm -hmm. even though i had a man who was pure and you know wasn't chasing an orgasm with me that wanted me that had saved himself i still could not believe that men and women could behave differently so my body would respond in that same fight flight or freeze mode when he would lovingly touch me so even though i'd had a few years of abstinence you know a few years of um before we got married of just waiting to be married and have like God's design sex. It was just, my body didn't even know how to get there. My mind didn't know how to get there. And so like he talked about our first years of marriage was shallow sex. It was, well, it was, it, she felt like anything I would do, I was doing to get sex. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and it made her feel objectified the same way that she was with these guys in the past. Um, you know, and it got, it, it just built and built and built, right? And like we had nowhere to go. We didn't nobody to talk to. Nobody knew what to do or how to tell us what to do. It's just supposed to, you know, how you're supposed to know how to do it. And so, um, <clears throat> you know, I would say at the worst, we were having sex six to eight times a year at one point, maybe, you know, years four, five, six, seven, somewhere in there. I don't know. I mean, it's so long ago now and it, it, we've gotten so much healing from it. It's, it's not like it like sits, sticks out yeah. as this painful season. Um, 
but a lot of failed nights where we would attempt to, and then she couldn't, and and she just would cry. Like there were times where we were having sex and she was crying. I didn't even know about that till afterwards. Mm. Um, Which was my first experience as we're in movie theaters and back seats where I'm hiding the fact that I was crying and well, not liking it, but yeah. pretending to like it. So it was really the way I'd learned it. Yeah. So, you know, finally it got to the point where we're like, okay, we need to go to counseling. Like this isn't we're solving. Yeah. Uh, time does not out. heal all wounds. Time yeah. makes worse if you don't <laughs> yeah, that's right. put some disinfectant in them before you bandage them. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and so we went to counseling. The first day the counselor, she goes, hey, would you guys be able to, you know, abstain from sexual intimacy for the next few weeks while we go through this? And we're like, yeah, of course. That turned into 18 months. So we went 18 months with no sexual intimacy at all, like no even attempting. Um, and that was really powerful. We got done with that season and Caitlin came out healed whole, like it was, she came out of that season. I mean, she did a lot of really hard work. Counseling sucks. If you've ever been through it, it's not <laughs> easy, really hard yeah. to do because you have to, you have to dig deep into areas that yeah. you're not waiting to say, I didn't, it almost hurts more to sit here in the counselor than if I can just keep it stuff. You know? oh, yeah. So and but the on the other side of it was a lot of healing and then for a few years we were having sex quite a bit but caitlin wasn't having an orgasm wasn't loving it but was not hating it yeah and that was like a huge <laughs> that was the win for us right. Like, right how's sex for you i don't hate it mediocre yeah. <laughs> that's a win <laughs> it's a win yeah, yeah and then finally she it was crazy it was like one day all of a sudden she had an orgasm when we were having sex and it was like Oh my goodness. Mm -hmm. That was amazing for both of us. <laughs> um, you know, that was six years ago. Yeah. Almost seven. Just, and it really, ever since that moment, it's been completely different. Yep. You wow. know, where she's fully enjoying it. I've always been fully enjoying the opportunity, the moments that we've had, but now they're a lot more often. And, um, yeah, so it's, it took a lot of work. I mean, I would say we went through that really, really, really painful years where we're probably seven to eight, the first seven to eight years of our marriage, then another three years of mediocre for her, and now the last six of, holy smokes, God, thanks for making us this way. <laughs> <laughs> so there's hope. There's yeah. hope oh, there's for lots of marriages. Hope. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, you just got to keep working. Yeah, Our my... um mantra was I'm just I refuse to settle for less than God's best in our sex life and wow. especially for me like I hate the devil so much and knowing that he was using my past to rob from my present and steal from my future is just a no-go so yeah. even though the hardest times of counseling and re-counseling and confessing and renouncing and deliverance and all of the things like I remember one time revisiting something that I still was like even after this point, sex was good. I was experiencing orgasm, but there was still something in the bedroom that I wasn't enjoying. And I knew it was like a string from my past. And so I remember crying to Cole, like, am I always going to have stuff? Like, am I always going to have to go to counseling? But it's just so worth it to me. Like, I will not let there be a remnant in our marriage bed that is from my past and the enemy trying to shame, torment, and taunt me with it. And so mm -hmm. it's that you have to have that fire and that fight in you. And it's so, so, so worth the hard work. Wow. Well, well, God bless you guys. That is so cool. I love that mindset. And I'm, I'm really glad that you shared that just to wrap up because that mindset is so key. Um, because without that, without that determination for health and for glorifying God and experiencing his best, we won't go through what we need to go through to get healed. And, 
and to do the right thing. So guys, where can, where can people find more about what your guys, what you guys are doing and, and even what do you, what do you do at Moral Revolution? Yeah. So Moral Revolution exists to tell the world a better story about sex, uh, knowing that the church has often shamed or silenced it. The world has perverted it, but we believe the kingdom of God celebrates it. So we do our best to celebrate sex and, uh, we are all over Both the in internet. practice and yes. in words. <laughs> yeah, Cole and I get to travel the world talking about sex and having sex. It's a pretty great deal. Um, but we have the website, moralrevolution.com. Instagram is probably our main social media. We have courses for every venue of sex. So we have stuff for single. Every venue of sex. That every demographic of people that need a sex conversation, we have it. So Thank parents, leaders, <laughs> singles, dating, LGBTQ. You yep. Know. yep, we have resources for all of it. Marriages. Wow. Well, that's powerful and, and so needed in the world and the culture that we are in. And so thank you guys for devoting your life to this, uh, obeying the call that God's put on your life. And we're so thankful for people like you, couples like you, and the hope that I'm hearing in your story. I know that's going to connect to so many people because there are people out there that they feel like they have to settle for something or there's just no other side to the coin of what they're going through. And um, so thank you for sharing your story and even just unpacking some of the things we talked about today. Uh, I, I got the sense of hope and help in what you're doing. So thank that's you guys. Check out Moral Revolution, everybody listening. We highly recommend them and what they're doing, their blogs, podcasts, all their uh, resources that they have devoted so much time into. So thank you guys. And everybody out there listening, thank you for engaging in this journey with us. We're praying for you. We're in your corner. We're cheering you on. We hope you have a great week. We'll check in with you next week. Thanks for listening. If you would like to hear more, please visit purevictorypodcast.com to subscribe. This podcast was made possible by the generous donations of our subscribers. If you would like to help support the cause financially, once again, please visit purevictorypodcast.com.